Hello and welcome to episode two of the Endeavor podcast. Today is Thursday, July 19th, 2018, and I'm your host, Stephen Schroeder. In this episode, I'm joined by Alicia Hu. Alicia is a new climate researcher and doctoral student here at the Heidelberg University, and I was especially excited to talk to her because she's also a Canadian living in Germany. I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing about her unique journey that has led her here to Heidelberg. So let's get started. Here's Alicia Hu. Welcome to the Endeavor podcast, and I have today with me Alicia Hu. Hi. <laughs> I'm really happy that you're here with me today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So uh, let's get right into it. So you're here in Heidelberg doing paleoclimatology as well. Mm-hmm. So last week we talked with Svantia, and you're doing paleoclimatology, but it's during a different period of time, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure which period she works on, but I'm working on the last um, 800 to 300,000 years. Okay, yeah. is yeah. doing really old stuff, like oh, okay. 23 to 30 million years old. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yeah. it's quite a bit more re- recent. Yeah. So what part of the world are your samples from? Uh, so they're from northeast Brazil, so kind of... I guess near the Amazon area, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And what kind of signal do you see with these samples? Like, what are you looking at? Yeah. Um, so we're trying to analyze or reconstruct um, variability in the summer monsoon in Brazil, or the South American summer monsoon. So okay. I think the end goal is to see um, how change it, how it correlates with changes in sea surface temperature and you know, like whether changes in temperature influence the strength of the monsoon. Okay. And like how that happens. Okay. Yeah. So can you just explain a little bit more about what the monsoon is, what happens there? Yeah. Um, I'm actually really new to this field. Yeah. So, but I know that um, the monsoon definitely displays long-term variability and the changes in the monsoon strength, I think is influenced by um, generally temperature of like the ocean nearby mm-hmm. because that in influences how how much moisture like moves over to the land mm-hmm. and precipitation on land. I don't know that much about the South American summer monsoon. Yeah. But I know the way that it works with the Indian monsoon is yeah. like the monsoon's a yearly thing that happens, right? Like it happens. Yeah, every and it's like I guess strongest during the summer. Right. Yeah. Like so, so it's yeah, wet the way in the that summer. it's always ex- been explained to me is like during the summer you have a really hot land yeah. and the ocean's a little bit cooler and so you have a lot of the the air rising from the land which kind of pulls in like a lot of the moisture yeah. from the ocean so you get like a lot of moisture during the summer monsoon yeah and then during the winter then it's like the other way around where like the land is cooler and so it's pretty dry in the winter am i getting that right yeah it's dry in the winter and humid in the summer okay yeah right and then so you're looking at how it changes year over year is what you're saying? Kind of, and also like long-term changes. So like maybe changes in uh, the Earth's orbit or like something else has like influenced that ocean temperature in general. And maybe for a period of, I don't know, like 50 years or 100 years, the ocean was like super cool. And maybe for that same period of time, the monsoon was really weak, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so what kind of things does the monsoon affect today? Is that something that people need for crops or yeah for sure so crops i think also hydroelectricity 
Oh, okay. Um, and also, like, you know, it influences, like, drought and many things, like, water-related in that region. So, right, right. Yeah. Is that also something that affects the Amazon rainforest? I'm not really sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important because, like, with global warming and stuff, maybe the ocean, well, the oceans are warming. Yeah. And uh, so it's important to understand how that will influence long-term changes in the monsoon, for example. Because mm-hmm. now I'm sure, like, people can predict short-term changes, like, oh, maybe... I don't know, I'm not like a meteorologist or like oceanographer, but maybe they're able to predict, oh, next year the monsoon would be like weaker or like stronger, but right. they don't know how the monsoon will evolve. Right. I think. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, it would definitely be useful to know yeah. if the monsoon's going to taper off and there's going to be less precipitation during yeah. the summers. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, pretty important, especially South America is pretty important. Yeah, for, for sure. A lot of different crops. Yeah, and like there's, you know, a lot of people live there. So. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Obviously, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So you said that you're pretty new to this research and you're also yeah. pretty new to Germany. Yeah. So how long have you been here? Um, I arrived in June, so it's been like just over a month. Yeah, so it's yeah. been pretty short. And yeah. how do you like Germany? How does it compare to Canada? Um, it's not super different in certain ways because I feel like... Um, yeah, in some ways, I feel like the in terms of living, like grocery shopping and like public transit, it doesn't yeah. feel like super different because the transit here is great and like buying groceries is really convenient. But in other ways, I still feel like a tourist. Every weekend, I feel like, oh, you know, I need to go see that and like do this <laughs> and like go see this park, you know, go visit this neighborhood because I feel like I need to cram all these things in because I, I haven't really in my head, I haven't really hasn't clicked that I now right. live here and I have so much time to explore the city yeah yeah it's not in that mindset yet that yeah i'm staying here for yeah potentially a very yeah. long time right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so what brought you to germany how did you end up here so i finished my master's last fall so i pretty much had a year to figure out like what i wanted to do and i was mainly just applying to phds in europe because i've been in toronto for so long and canada so I was really eager to live abroad for a while and I felt like doing a PhD would be a great chance to, you know, have a reason to like move somewhere and like live somewhere. And um, my supervisor for my master's um, is from Heidelberg, actually. And he definitely really pushed me to apply to places in Germany. So and like he suggested a few places and like throughout the year, like last year, I pretty much just kept my eye on there's this website. I think it's called Earthworks where um. They post a lot of earth science related jobs and also postdoc and PhD positions. So I pretty much spent all my time on this website and applied to positions that, you know, interested me. All right. So, yeah. Maybe you'll have to check that out <laughs> yeah, too. <definitely. laughs> yeah, for sure. It's always good to hear about that. And so what were you doing your master's on? You were at the University of Toronto, yeah. right? So I was working on, I was using a different proxy. So now I'm using foraminifera, but before I was using uh, coralline algae, which are kind of pink colored crusty things that grow over boulders. In the ocean. In the ocean, yeah. Yeah. And um, kind of like tree rings, they form a new layer each year. So you can use the layers to reconstruct annual changes in whatever parameter you're looking at. Okay, and so um, they're called coralline algae? Coralline algae, yeah. And so are they coral or are they algae? They're algae, it's like a red <laughs> algae. Okay. But because, I think the coralline refers to like that they're hard. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and cool. um, so they form kind of like calcium carbonate crusts. Oh. Yeah, so you can analyze the crust for like 
different isotopes like magnesium calcium or like you know carbon oxygen isotopes and a bunch of other things right so you can look at a lot of the same things like the temperature yeah how exactly. much nutrients kind of thing yeah even like i think i had a colleague she published a paper using like barium isotopes to like reconstruct nutrient levels i guess one of the useful things about them probably is that there's really high resolution you can see yeah like from parts of a year even right or yeah you can do sub-annual resolution even like kind of like seasonal changes or like monthly changes yeah and they live for a really long time i think the sample i was using was 600 years old and they can live up to like 600 to 800 years old wow. but it's really rare to find a sample because it would have to be like super thick and it's true and like undisturbed by weathering or like organisms so right. it's actually really rare to find a really old specimen but yeah Okay, so how do they find those kind of things? So I was actually on a cruise looking for these organisms. So they look for um, like rocks, pretty much. Okay, so I was on like a little little boat and um, I had a drop camera. So you pretty much just kind of throw the camera into the ocean and look for areas that are pink because these things are like reddish pink colored. Right. <laughs> and uh, once you find it, you like mark down the location on a GPS and divers will go down and um, kind of like chisel the algae off with, uh, I don't know, like whatever tools they use. And um, they generally live like near coasts in like kind of rocky areas. So you can kind of like, before you even go on, you know, the expedition, you can kind of like mark a few places where you think they're likely to be. Oh, cool. Yeah. And are the samples that you get, were they still living? Were they still alive down there? Or are they I dead? think so. Yeah, I think they're alive and you kind of have to like break them off. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, tell me more about this expedition. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I went last, last summer. You know, I, my flights were like $4,000 because, you know, like flying from Toronto to like Nunavut, which is like, you, you know. started in Nunavut. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So each of my flights became smaller and smaller. It was like Toronto right. to Ottawa, which is normal. And then Ottawa to Iqaluit was already like a smaller plane. Right. And then Iqaluit to Arctic Bay, even smaller. And my last flight from Arctic Bay to Resolute, which is apparently like the second northernmost habited area, I think in canada the northernmost is like alert or something yeah something like that yeah and that flight i feel like it was like six people <laughs> it's like a tiny <laughs> yeah tiny yeah and then when i got to resolute the family that was um in charge of the like cruise was picked me up from the airport and then we all went to their boat the vagabond i think it's like a 14 meter sailboat cruise quote unquote yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> really a cruise that's just kind of the term that yeah. is used yeah in the scientific career yeah <laughs> and i think they do a lot of this kind of stuff like they're frequently hired by like scientists to do other like i think they even do like you know coring and like stuff like that so like ice cores and stuff so yeah oh cool so i was there for three weeks you know we kind of had like the same routine each day we we would like we had a map for my supervisor and we would like hit all the spots on the map and do, you know, what I said earlier, like the camera and then like diving, stuff like that. Yeah. The first night I was there, I was like super seasick and it got a little bit better throughout the end of the trip, but I was, I never really got used to it. But uh, you, like, you still got through it though. Yeah, I did. And I feel like I would go back if the chance came, yeah. like even though it felt like really terrible because there's nothing you can do. Like you can't, 
be like, oh, well, you know, I can take a break. Right. I, there's like, you're stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What were you doing to get over that? What were you doing to enjoy the trip? Um, it was like a totally new experience. Like even because we would every few days go onto land to visit the communities, which was really nice because just to see like how people up there like live and, you know, like how they do their grocery shopping and like how like warm the communities are and everyone's so friendly so we didn't have running water on the boat so we couldn't shower or wash our hands really (laughs) um so we whenever we hit a new community we would knock on doors and like ask people to use their showers (laughs) and also like potentially to do laundry pretty like everyone was very accommodating even though water there is like not that available um they get water delivered we were like a group of like seven i think so you know seven people using your shower that's a lot of water and then you have to like have water delivered to your house yeah so yeah are these mostly native communities yeah 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 okay yeah wow and so yeah they're really friendly did you spend nights on land or were you mostly spending them on the ship on the ship yeah we would kind of like go like for a day trip on land sometimes we got to like participate in really cool like community activities there was one day where we went to like a local youth community center and we saw a dude showing the local kids like how to make a seal balloon for hunting yeah so he like pretty much inflated like a seal carcass like the skin uh-huh. <laughs> and uh yeah <laughs> what do you what's a seal balloon used for <laughs> uh, i think you, i think it's used for hunting because like once he like removes all the stuff from the inside and just has yeah. like the skin right. if you blow it up and i don't know like it ca- looks like a seal yeah it and looks so like a live seal to attract but i'm wow, not sure amazing. yeah yeah so it was the summer that you were on the cruise yeah. right and so did, did it ever get dark um yeah it did get dark but at night we would see the glow in the dark kind of like green like algae in the ocean which was like really cool so you spent this time on the cruise uh it was three weeks okay yeah and so was that right at the end of your master's or was that actually for the data collection uh that was the data collection not for myself though it was uh right before my master's actually okay yeah Oh, cool. And then from there, you started your master's. Pretty much. Although, like, the year before, I had contacted my supervisor, and I kind of, like, even not even as a student, took some, like, random earth science courses because I I don't have an earth science background. And I had started doing some stuff in his lab. Okay. Just as a random person, pretty much. Yeah. And so I had started gathering a little bit of data. So... Thankfully, I was slightly ahead. So you said you didn't have a neuroscience background. No. What, what is your background? Uh, in ecology and nutrition. <laughs> nutrition? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I did like a double major in ecology and nutritional sciences. Um, I really didn't like either. <laughs> um, <laughs> and definitely at the end of my bachelor's, I was really eager to just like finish and pursue artistic interests or, you know, just like very eager to finish my bachelor's. And I definitely didn't intend on going to grad school or continuing in academia or science. So. And so what were you doing before you started your master's? Um, so I took like night classes in photography and then I found a bunch of like different internships. My first internship was with um, this photographer, kind of like an older like slightly washed up (laughs) 
guy um but it was nice to see like how a professional studio works and right. like you know you know the business side of things even though i'm really not interested in like anything business related right. it was still a good experience do you still are you still interested in photography yeah i am um right now i'm really interested in like disposable cameras and like film photography so i've been like i have you know a few like shitty disposable cameras and i'm like trying to figure out what to do with them because i know you can like um do really interesting experiments like i don't know throw it in water or like put it in the sun yeah one thing that i always wanted to do is make one of those pinhole cameras oh yeah and then record the path of the sun for the whole year oh cool i've also seen different ones where uh they use the pinhole camera to record the seasons changing wow that's amazing really cool yeah stuff yeah okay i have to look into that so so you did photography did you do anything else yeah and then i don't know i got bored because i my hobbies and interests like change so quickly same (laughs) yeah (laughs) um i got bored so i went to school again for video editing and i thought i wanted to work in like video editing like production and stuff like that so i found another internship at this like advertising agency so they do a lot of like videos for different companies like future shop yeah 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 so i worked i interned there for briefly and it definitely wasn't for me i don't like working in an office um, at all and i don't see myself ever working i mean this is an office but i don't really see myself ever working in like a really strict like nine to five like office setting cubicle yeah it's not for me so i lost interest (laughs) and uh, but this whole time like to support myself i was working in like different restaurants and bars and stuff so Mm. i'd have to get up early to go to this nine to five and then i'd work till like two in the morning how did you find these jobs like the photography and the video editing ones i feel like they were like craigslist craigslist jobs i think yeah wow Yeah, but I'm the kind of person, like, if I want something, I'll, like, send out, like, 200 emails. And, like, no opportunity seems like it's really shitty. Like, I'll try it. Yeah, Yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. I know just finding my place in Harvard, I sent over 100 emails just to I I feel like you have to, right? (laughs) You have to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anywhere where it's a market like that. Yeah, and I feel like you have to just have, like, no shame and just, like, walk into the office and, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Force yourself in there. Pretty much, yeah. And so... So what inspired you to go on and do this master's, especially in something that was so different for you? Yeah. Um, so this whole, t- like, I don't know, towards the end of my time off, I definitely felt like I really wanted to be back in school. Actually, most of my friends, my close friends are in school and like doing their PhDs. Some of them are almost done their PhDs and like hearing about their experiences kind of made me want to be back in school. I know I didn't like ecology or biology or like nutritional science so I kind of just did a lot of research like I kind of just read a lot of different professors research pages and like read a few papers to see like what I was interested in and Mm -hmm. I like noted down their contact information and kind of um, emailed each of them about specific projects and like parts of the research and yeah probably again sent out 40 50 emails yeah yeah and so eventually one stuck and that's yeah. what ended up in kind of thing yeah actually i started working for a different person who was friends with um my master's supervisor based on my interest he suggested that i also contact him so okay yeah and so you're kind of just like helping out with him and then that led into yeah and i was really lucky because the person that i started working for actually knows yorg okay <laughs> yeah. yeah so someone that works here yeah yeah uh and um I I had a lot of great opportunities, like, because of 
just like working for him because I was working on like a kind of photography related project with him and he had a project coming up that would involve traveling to Death Valley and um, photographing like outcrops in Death Valley so wow I felt really lucky to like you know kind of just be a nobody and <laughs> get the chance to like go to Death Valley and see all these amazing like, outcrops and like nature and be part of like a really cool project yeah yeah so you went out and did that yeah (laughs) yeah that's awesome yeah so you seem so driven did you have a mentor that or someone that you looked up to that inspired you to do these kind of things um not really i have a lot of friends who are in uh, doing their phds again so they were really great sources of information and also advice to talk to and also like each of both of the people that i work for so uli wortman at um the professor I went to Death Valley with and Jochen Hofer, my master's supervisor, I really enjoyed working with them and I feel like they both helped me find a lot of opportunities and also gave me a lot of chances. I don't know if they were mentors, but I feel like it definitely helped me on my path. <laughs> I was also curious about how you find it being in research as a woman. Yeah, I definitely find that there are like way fewer females and I've never really encountered um, like a female professor or like someone in a, I guess, more advanced position who I felt like I'd be comfortable asking, you know, for like advice or like mentorship. So my friend back in U of T, like she has a colleague in her department who has um, this Instagram account um, and it's about like women um, working in like STEM. But so she interviews actually um, a lot of like female, female scientists and like grad students working in different departments like the STEM fields. And I feel like a lot of the questions are kind of like, so she, I don't know her personally, but from what I've heard, like she is like not the typical like female scientist, like, you know, she puts on you know makeup each morning and like dresses really really well and like isn't like your typical like you know scientists right i find that really inspiring because i feel like women shouldn't feel like suppressed they shouldn't feel the need to like look like a man to like succeed or like you know like make themselves as plain as possible i don't know right yeah you shouldn't have to feel boxed into some yeah like if you want to wear like a a yellow dress to work like you know why feel suppressed like why feel the need to wear like i don't know a pantsuit (laughs) right yeah Yeah, of course yeah and you said that that you have these friends that you were looking up to like, yeah and yeah and even to like help with like writing and stuff because again like they've been doing their phds for a while so it's, it was helpful if i had like um from working on a paper or like even like a motivation letter when i'm applying to stuff it was really nice to ha- have get feedback from friends and you know i whenever i write something i feel like i try to send it to as many people as possible yeah so, yeah. yeah and it's so helpful like each time like someone always finds something different to you know help me work on so yeah, yeah. or even if i spelled like one thing wrong right. it's like <laughs> the worst feeling when you send something off and then you notice oh <laughs> i made like a really dumb spelling mistake so are, are these friends also in the field of geology or are they uh no so one of my friends is um finishing up her phd at mit in linguistics oh wow um and she's like a great writer so i i like asked her for help for writing and uh, my other friend is at U of T and she actually worked in the same building but she was in uh, like cell and systems biology okay yeah how do you find geology as a field do you think it's more 
accepting of women or do you think it's i feel like they're actually way fewer women than like other departments i've been part of like nutritional science and ecology i've never felt like excluded as a woman i've i don't know i personally haven't had any like not that i've been aware of like <laughs> negative experiences so i can't really comment on that i feel like but definitely fewer women yeah like way fewer i think yeah i think yeah. it's interesting that there's quite a few women in our yeah. working group right here yeah. yeah, but I find it maybe it's unfair for me to like say this, but I feel like a lot of there are a lot of like female grad students in many departments, like in both the earth science department at U of T and yeah. the earth science department here. Mm -hmm. But I find it rare to have like female professors. I right. think you know. Yeah, all of the yeah. supervisors here. <laughs> yeah, but they're not women. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you have senior researchers, but yeah, not supervisors. Yeah. Right. Well, like, where do you see yourself going with this research? It'll last a few years. Yeah, right? I definitely would like to do a postdoc after this, I think. Depending on, I mean, the research to me seems really interesting so far. I mean, I haven't, I'm still collecting data, so yeah. <laughs> I haven't really gotten that far. But um, if it's interesting, like, I love to, like, stick with it. But as someone who has, like, switched a lot of, like, careers like in the past, I think it's actually really helpful to, like, switch research paths sometimes so like yeah. i wouldn't be opposed to like having a semi-drastic like change in research direction even right because like from my master's to my phd i feel like i'm doing something completely different and which is really challenging and like speaking to a lot of the other grad students they're more experienced with um their current research like they did their master's or you know bachelor's in like uh, a similar field, a similar location, or like with the same proxy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I feel like it's more challenging for me personally. Um, right. But I also feel like that's really exciting. And I think it's important to be knowledgeable about like different things. Yeah. Just yeah. having that multidisciplinary yeah, kind of approach. And do you think you'll be staying in Europe or your postdoc yeah. as well? Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't really want to go to the States. So, um, right. yeah. I feel like in, in Europe, um, especially Germany and maybe like Sweden, there's a lot of paleoclimate research just from like me applying for jobs and stuff. Um, I noticed there were a lot of positions from these countries. So I feel like if I want to stay in paleoclimatology, I think Europe would be a good place for sure. I wonder why it, there isn't such a big field in North America. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like in Toronto, my, at my previous university, definitely not that much going on. <laughs> I guess it's just not a priority. Yeah, in I guess North America. Canada has a lot of natural resources, so there's a lot of focus on like mining and like oil and gas, I guess. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of research that could be going on that yeah. perhaps is not right now. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from your postdoc and everything mm -hmm. else, what kind of things are you hoping to do in Europe? Like what kind of outside interest are you hoping to work on? What yeah. are you hoping to do? Yeah. Um, definitely traveling. Um, I haven't really been to Europe much. Like I've, I was in Vienna for a week, like for a conference last year and I've been to Ireland, but I haven't really seen much of Europe. So it'd be really nice to have, to be able to travel, like maybe on the weekends even to like different parts and like take photos or make vlogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Have you made vlogs before? No. And I really want to, but I feel kind of like self-conscious about taking my camera out in public places, but right. I feel like maybe I should just get over it and like make vlogs. I, I really enjoy watching them. 
So yeah. I feel like it'd be helpful to like, um, I don't know, contribute to like other people's viewing experience. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely keep that in mind. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll wrap it up. We've yeah. been talking for about 40 minutes. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been awesome. So thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for the music you're hearing right now. Please subscribe. And if you're feeling up to it, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you have any comments or just want to say hi, check out the podcast on Twitter, or you can send us an email at endeavorpodcast at gmail.com.